Hey, hey, everyone. This is Damien, uh, one of the co-hosts of the Never Stay Dead podcast. This time around, it is a bonus episode. And by bonus, we mean it's just an extra bit of conversation. This is what was recorded, uh, not entirely on purpose, uh, after we finished uh, recording our last episode where Matt and I were talking about Kitty Pride and Wolverine. And uh, looking back on it, I thought this might be interesting to some people. So if you'd like to hear us uh, kind of ramble around a number of subjects, particularly including the Wonder Woman movie and the current state of comic book, the comic book publishing market and what's going on with DC and how that might affect the market, and a bunch of other subjects, feel free to listen in. Otherwise, we'll be back soon with our next episode. I pulled out a beer I've never had before. Oh, it's sweating. It's oh. called, it's by Mamba, and it, no, it's called Mamba, and it's by Gilgamesh. Gilgamesh Brewing. I just had to buy it because I, you know, Gilgamesh being the first written hero by human beings in history well i'm drinking the rosé from dark horse in honor of our comment rosé yeah it's a it's a wine in a can Ooh, classy days <laughs> so classy oh wow this uh, gilgamesh is actually very good i bet i'd rather be drinking that but i'm enjoying the wine it's from salem oregon proudly brewed in salem oregon Oh, yeah, this is good. I'm going to get this again. Surprised it's not the bitch's brew or something at that point. The bi- Oh, because it's in Salem, Oregon. Yeah. It was Salem, Massachusetts. Actually, little, though, uh, you know what? On a second sip, it seems too sweet. Do you ever have that happen? The first sip, it seems really good. And then... Your palate's adjusting. So um, sometimes it takes three to five sips to kind of normalize. And it could be that you hit different parts of your tongue, too. So... I didn't read the description. Brewed with black tea and tangerine peel. Wow. I think I'm not liking that tangerine peel so much. That's tippy dippy. There's a million beers out there. People are trying everything. They're throwing everything up at the wall and seeing how it works in their beer. I just had a, um, what was it? A sour IPA and it's uh, too much. Yeah. I'm finding I just like Belgians. <laughs> I like IPAs, but they have to be good. And now there's so many IPAs out there, and a lot of them aren't good. They're just throwing, I, they're just going insane with IPAs. They're just throwing random hops and not yeah. really caring. Yeah. Um, but yeah, good quality IPA, sure. As so, those, like uh, here in Portland, there's a, or there was, I assume it will be back in business someday, a place that served, a bar that served nothing but sours. I think oh, a yeah. lot they made themselves. and. I can't drink too many of those, <laughs> but one or two is nice. That's fair. And there's certain sours that hit a nice note, and there's some that are, like, too much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they, tar- they start tasting like a vinegary wine or something. Oh, yeah. Let's see. What was the name of our podcast? Never Say Something Good About Matt? Yeah. That was it. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I think we'd get more clicks. (laughs) Well, welcome everyone to another episode of Never Stay Dead. I am Damien, 
and I am here with my good buddy Matt. Hi, Matt. Hello, Internet. <laughs> So next time we're going to go way out of my comfort zone. So your choice. Yeah. I'm, but I'm very glad that we're going to move away from Marvel Comics for a little while. Because <laughs> while you're a Marvel zombie, I'm not supposed to be. It's the first three volumes of Death Note. Yeah, so I went ahead and bought the first three volumes of Death Note. They were on sale. And I've had them for years. And have you read the entire series? I did in a period of a month or something. It was, we'll, we'll talk about it when we get there. But yeah, it's uh, so it's certainly one of the more famous manga series. That was something I wanted to do. I wanted to. Right. I've definitely heard about it. I've, I've heard people describe the plot for years. And I know there's a very popular mm-hmm. anime for it. And was there a movie in made in the United States about it or just talk? There about is an American movie called death note that has elements of the story but is ultimately very different and very short comparatively i got a kick out of it right and people were upset that it was whitewashed so to speak or something well, I, it was the american version was taking place in america i don't think that counts as whitewashing the character was intentionally bad but there is also um some live action death note movies that were made in japan a lot more the anime than the manga for the slight act the manga and the anime are actually pretty tight um but yeah it's it's it was done by a production company that if something veers one way it veers more off the anime and it's done it for roni kenshin um a jojo's bizarre adventure full metal alchemist um a, a lot of the big ones uh-huh. and when i was towing around i wanted to do a manga and read that reads a bit of a more famous manga with you and i was trying to pick one and i when i narrowed it down i was kind of between death note and full metal alchemist and i just felt like death note is something that is unlike anything we've read for the show before where as full metal alchemist is great and different enough i just felt like there's something that would be more generative to talk about with death right. note now uh there's a good chance i won't like it so i hope you won't be offended when that happens <laughs> i i mean i don't think it's going to be your favorite thing ever but i think you're going to find yourself intrigued okay well anyway so uh when we come back to life again we will talk death note which is, you know, good life and death, death note, um, fits right in. But people stay dead in this one. You can enjoy me struggling to read manga. <laughs> that may be entertaining to some people. You should be able to set it so you can just read it the way you normally read stuff, mm-hmm. I think. Really? Oh, it's when I tapped on it, it starts off saying, whoops. Oh, you have to go. Oh, it's digital, so it's not going to be as much of a thing anyways. Uh, page by where page did that go when i first opened it up it gave me a little note saying this is going to be in manga style so you you swipe the other way and you read the things the other way and you read it uh right to left right to left yeah i guess they can't really do that with the page and i've read other manga but uh i can handle the okay. left to right or the right to left thing but i just haven't yet found any manga i liked okay well at the very least you're reading something that 
is one of the the big ones so right, at least right. you're getting a bit of a comic breath from it so i wanted since we were talking about the x-men did you by any chance um come across it just arrived in this redraw it just arrived in marvel unlimited this redrawing of giant size x-men I thought it was just a culmination of Giant Size X-Men with the classic X-Men number one printing with the extra pages. No, it is it is page for page, uh, oh. word balloon for word balloon, Len Wein's script, but every page is drawn by a different modern day artist. Oh my God, that sounds it's kind of weird. painful, honestly. It's weird. At first I thought, oh, this is really exciting, like page one by Alex Ross, page two by Kevin Nolan, page three by uh, Chris Samney. Uh, you've got uh, Marguerite Savage, Bernard Chang, Aaron Cooter, Takeshi Miz- My- Maizawa. Oh, so much of people. <laughs> Phil Noto. Yeah. I'm just trying to pick out interesting names here. Um, Mike Del Mundo, Pepe Larraz. Anyway. Sean Riaz do any of them? No, Sean Riaz. Okay. They didn't get him to do the chibi page. So it's kind of a surreal thing for a comic that, you know, is fairly familiar to us to just see it drawn by someone else. But it, but it also, after a while, gets tiresome, the endlessly changing styles. I mean, if they got one or two artists, it might be fun. But if it's a different artist every page, that's just going to suck. But it's interesting that they tried that. I mean, that, that would have been the last thing I would ever thought of to... Um, it was two issues, right? No, it's just the first the first double-sized issue. Oh, I thought they split it. Because there was some giant size X-Men thing that was two issues recently. Uh, um, well, maybe that's something else. Or maybe for the digital version, they put it all in one. Or maybe I'm wrong. I, I thought it was... It's uh, 43 pages long. All right. Anyhow, interesting thing, and it's X-Men related. Completely not X-Men related. Uh, I broke down and got uh, HBO Max and watched Wonder Woman. Have you watched it? Because I saw you talking on Twitter with people about it. Yeah, I watched it. I enjoyed it apparently more than most people, but I feel like my expectations were different. Well, so I have one friend who's more of a superhero person by movie than by comic though he's just started buying comics now just been some bizarre conversations but he didn't like it because one of his main complaints was that he didn't feel that it played into the larger dc universe or anything and i was like i couldn't care less about that right well neither did the first wonder woman movie in a sense they're both historic movies before superman and batman came along in terms of the the dc movie timeline I've never seen Batman versus Superman, so I don't even know parts of it. To... I mean, I think those take place in the 2000s or, or you know, 2000s. It sounds right. Yeah. A current toward they were She's made. been around all this time. And that's why people don't call her Wonder Woman in the movie, I think, because she hasn't become a public figure yet. Right. She's just the mysterious woman who saved people. Yeah. And it was clearly made to be like an 80s movie, which explains away some of the more goofy parts that people are complaining about. Though, the Steve Trevor reanimating to someone's body versus just being appearing 
is a complaint that I take full heartedly and think, yeah, why did they do that? That's weird. <laughs> I don't know. I, I liked, I even liked, I mean, it definitely, you know, here I was picking on all the details in the, in the Wolverine Kitty Pride book that didn't quite connect for me. But in, in the Wonder Woman movie, I kind of accepted all the uh, uh, things that if you got too logical about it, didn't make sense. But it was kind of neat having him take over someone else's life. And only she saw him as Steve Trevor. I thought that was an interesting touch. Yeah, it's just the implications of some of its little... Right. Gross. It is a little gross. <laughs> but I, I... And here's the funny thing, because I lived, I've lived through the 80s as an adult, or as a college student and then an adult. I thought yeah, yeah. the movie didn't go for the 80s goofiness enough. There should have been more songs like Cindy Lauper type songs or uh, Devo or I think I'm turning Japanese or you know that kind of goofy music and uh, more goofy clothes there was a few bits of goofy clothes or what what we now view as goofy There's clothes a sequence just about that that was enough but I see what you're saying like when I say an 80s movie I mean like a movie made in the 80s not like a movie all about the 80s I just would have been happy if they really overdid it. But obviously that wouldn't, if other people are complaining about the amount that they already did. Yeah. Yeah. And it did, it had a slower pace to it, which was like an 80s movie too. Movies of, especially action movies have become super fast paced. Which might have been actually part of the reason I was a little more sweet on it than in retrospect, maybe I felt like it should be because I heard some sound complaints about the movie but it just didn't bother me when i was watching the other part of it is like when i hear the sound complaints it's people taking it very seriously and i'm like so wonder woman movie and like the emotion of and the heart of it is actually more important than pretty much any other aspect and some of the complaints i heard about how wonder woman dealt with things it was kind of like well it's wonder woman like she she's more about appealing to people's better halves than punching someone yeah right it's a little bit cheesy but that's how she's supposed to be she's the character who who would like to use love and not fists but can use fists when she has to and clearly it's an 80s trump more so than max lord to say some things about yeah it's not at all max lord but i didn't even i've heard people complaining that it was a really bad trump but i thought it was an 80s type because another thing you need to remember about the 80s is that was the greed is good era that was Ronald Reagan yeah. and everybody transforming, taking the new ageiness of the 70s and making new age money. You know what I'm saying? You put the crystals under your bed to get rich, not to get enlightenment or something. So I thought he was perfect as an 80s character, the way they well, did him. It's 80s Trump. I didn't even, I, I know everyone says he's like, I don't, I think he's more like a, if he were a modern day guy, I'm not even sure who he would be. But but I think he was definitely an 80s type. And that's, that's sort of the era where you first, because cable TV finally became big, you got, you know, people, hucksters on TV and Tony Robbins. He was more like Tony Robbins or someone like that. Oh, that's a little close for me. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, <laughs> Do you know someone who got too into Tony Robbins? Uh, I worked for a company that was... Uh, partially built on his fame uh-huh. being connected yeah. to it so 
you know, it was uncomfortable, especially because when I was working there, the rape allegations came out, which was fun. Um, oh, I didn't know about that, but I'm not surprised. I mean, he was a cult leader of sorts. Yeah. yeah. And that's, they're yeah. always about getting sex, no matter what. Um, cult leaders, that is. Well, you'll have to tell me more about that experience someday. I Yeah, that's about the sum total of it. I actually brought it up when the news was breaking. I was like, do we have to address this somehow, or what do we do about it? Oh, we're just not going to worry about it. We have several pages touting Tony Robbins. and I was basically saying we should maybe uh, take some stuff down and distance ourselves, and they weren't willing to do that because the uh, traffic we got from it was too much. He was but, the moneymaker. Um, yeah. But there were, you know, Tony Robbins is just the one we can still remember, but there were all kinds of hucksters like that who, you know, found you could get lots of time on TV and infomercials really cheaply and they would try to rip people off. And that's, I, I think maybe, maybe that's why a lot of people are upset about it because they're looking at it as a Trump metaphor and maybe it's not. Or it's not for me. Well, the Trump metaphor was there, especially when he's doing that with that hair standing in front of the presidential seal, promising people things that are untrue. Like it was. Yeah, yeah I guess so. Definitely. That I don't. I, I I think what I liked it most was the whole wish concept and the way that was played out. I thought that was pretty brilliant. I think that has nothing to do with Max Lord that I know of. That's fair. But um, but as their own creation in the movie, I thought that was really good. Do you mind me going on about it? Because I have no one to talk about it. No, with. no, no, that's fine. And I really liked, um, I really liked most of the actors, except maybe uh, Kristen Wiig. I don't think she was right for that role. Oh, it has a weird role. I thought the guy who played Lord did a really good job. Sorry, what did you say? You liked her, Kristen Wiig? I, she seemed fine for most of it. I feel like the cheetah part was a little odd. Uh-huh. And. Uh, Anyway, yeah, I, I actually thought it was a cool movie. I think there was something the way it was edited, or I'm I'm not real movie savvy, but I felt like something like editing, what the rhythm of it was a little off or something, and that made it feel a little more boring than it really was. It was quieter. It was edited a little differently to have some longer pauses, some longer holds on shots and stuff like that, a lot an 80s movie also is actually shot on film as opposed to like a digital camera now oh that's interesting yeah something so there's some when i was listening to this podcast of these people who decided to do a two-hour podcast on how much they hated the movie (laughs) but they were they had one kind of valid thing um or something they they were complaining about something else maybe that made me think of it but even though it was kind of a slow movie it it forgot to slow down on certain important points like the fact that max lord actually had researched this magic wish granting thing in advance and knew all about it that came out too late we like we should have known more about that but yeah i don't i don't understand all the hate of the movie if you're paying attention to the movie it's pretty obvious because um the the mall heist thing which a lot of people complained about which is bonkers because that was one of the most fun scenes in the movie we know max lord was looking for this item and knew about it beforehand because of the way that's handled in the aftermath of it we see him and how he reacts to that. see i didn't put it together i didn't put it together it took me till much later in the movie to put together that, oh max lord knew all about this all along it wasn't just chance that he happened to grab this wish wish giving device i'll have to rewatch it 
it's presented in the first act if you're paying attention i mean it is somewhat subtle but i mean it's there and that's the thing is i've heard a lot of complaints about this movie by people and i i i don't take them or accept them because i just like i had someone say like well why are they even in the middle east and i was like well because they're tracking down max lord and that's where he was and they knew that and so they flew there and then they're like why are they in the invisible jet why did the jet need to be invisible because they were being fired on and so they needed to get away and that was the way that they dealt with it which was a cute way to show wonder woman having the invisible jet and then also deal with her flying later and showing the significance of that was tying to her pilot boyfriend and it was cool to show you know someone from world war one would have no idea what radar is or yeah. you know it all fit together nicely the the one criticism that really stuck with me that i thought was kind of funny but actually kind of made me like the movie a little bit more was um when they go to the middle east they find max lord by just seeing him on the road there was a lot of silliness in the movie but but that felt 80s movie to me like just some like weird happy coincidence just move the plot along because she's not a detective or anything like they just it was a small country (laughs) yeah there's what two roads yeah i mean it had a certain you know it's like a james bond movie with these just sort of silly things that you accept i think anyway i enjoyed watching it quite a bit and i have i've kind of stopped watching superhero movies for the most part so kind of went ahead and watched it because basically because i like gail godot that was my original impetus but i i think in some ways it was it, it was a more clever superhero movie than the first one the first one was kind of a cool world war one movie but or was it world war two yeah. it was world war one wasn't it it's world war one the great war and and i thought i thought i would hate it because they're bringing back steve trevor after they killed him and that that was a big cheat even though I'm on the Never Stay Dead podcast. But but then when the the way they handled it with the wishing thing, I like that. If they bring him back for a third movie, I'll have, have a problem. Yeah, I don't think they will. I The reason and the impetus they brought him back kind of solidifies the idea that they won't again, I believe. And it, it gave um, some poignancy to actually losing someone, to magically bring them back and then lose them again. Well, not even just lose them, like willingly give give that give up. Give them up to save the world, yeah. And that actor who plays Steve Trevor has, is the only one who's ever made me like Steve Trevor in my entire comic book reading history. Steve Trevor has been one of the worst characters in comics, usually. That's fair. I'm trying to think. The only superhero movie I'd say you totally need to watch is uh, Into the Spider-Verse. I have totally watched it. I, we made we Good. made a podcast about watching it. <laughs> yes. Did we? We do too many, apparently. I can't remember them all. I, I, I went to the movie theater and saw it. It might have been on your recommendation or just hearing all the buzz. And then I bought the DVD. And then I realized all the streaming services I get have it on it anyway. But That's okay, though, because if... Well, you got a DVD, not a Blu-ray. Uh, I think it was one that had the DVD and Blu-ray and digital code in it because it didn't cost much more than... Well, sure. Just the Blu-ray actually displays a bit better than streaming for that movie in particular. Yeah. I don't know if I'll so. I'll cancel uh, HBO Max right away or watch more on there. I haven't decided. 
There's South Park. I know that's all about Colorado, so I should like it. <laughs> oh no, it's it's a taste. Yeah, there's some stuff on there, but yeah, you watch the West Wing special to try to convince you to vote, or the Fresh Prince of Bel Air reunion. You know that'll be a big for you, I'm sure. Well, you know what they have that I found I couldn't get anywhere else, which is ridiculous. Is uh, if you've heard of them, the Thin Man movies from the Depression. Huh. Okay, I have. I had this urge to watch the Thin Man movies, and I went on my Amazon Prime, you know, which is my interface to the streaming world. And the only way I could watch the Thin Man was to get uh, HBO Max. So I thought, well, I wanted to watch Wonder Woman anyway. So those two movies are what made me get HBO Max. The thing uh, my wife and I loved on HBO was the Harley Quinn show. Oh, you know what? I watched the first minute of it. Which had like <laughs> people's flesh melting off their bodies and the her saying fuck about eight times. And and I was like, uh, oh, I was going to watch this with Beatrix. I guess not. <laughs> no. And that was on the DC app before she moved to HBO Max. And every time we'd open up the DC app, the first thing they would show is this cute cartoon of, you know, still, cartoony still of... of uh, harley quinn and i kept she kept saying well can we watch that so my my being upset at them yeah, for no. promoting it right in front of my child's face and me having to say no and on the app it did not say this is you know hard r 18 plus yeah uh you would have had to like go three or four uh pages in on the information about it to find out it was rated mature so I was just really pissed about that. Oh, yeah. So I didn't watch it. So have you and your wife been enjoying it? Oh yeah, we watched the whole thing. We loved it. We laughed our heads off. Um, but that is a hard R for almost every reason you could give something an R. Like, wow, it's yeah, it's great. <laughs> but it is cruel when you make these things look like kids shows. Yeah. It, it got my wife at first too because she's like oh because we do watch like young justice or the old justice league cartoon or stuff like that sometimes um sometimes to break up her constant want to watch crime procedurals um <laughs> it was really funny that first minute like you saw where it was just cursing and blood and heads exploding just all over the place she was like that's not what i was expecting <laughs> and i was just laughing my head off because i knew enough to know i like i knew it was a an adult cartoon if you will but i was expecting more like archer level i guess or venture brothers and it is right way above that for an art level it's delightful it's it's bizarre on this more public facing venue that DC goes that hard R when they're so conservative in other places. Are they? Yeah. And like the whole, their new uh, owners, their new masters pretty much canceled most of the black label line after the bat penis showed up. They were so upset. Oh, well. And I think in general, they've been, forcing the comics to tone down even further have they yeah in the past year or two since at&t bought them i thought they just canceled most of the comics in the last year but um i i have a lot of having i because i almost watched that without pre-screening it with with beatrix 
Mm. Um, so I have a lot of anger about that kind of thing. Well, that'll learn you. No, I, I understand where you're coming from. Like, if you don't know, you don't know. They didn't tell you that. It's hopefully Dean won't mind gore, but I've I've had many experiences where I feel very guilty for exposing Be- Beatrix to stuff that really upsets her. Starting with, unsadly, with Star Wars. <laughs> She'll never watch Star Wars now because we watched it with her when she was too young and she was so upset in the cantina scene where they cut off someone's hand that she pretty much barfed at the thought of Star Wars. Oh, well, there you go. Um, Speaking of, uh, you know, Wolverine and Belasco abusing young girls. I did it too by making them watch Star Wars. <laughs> I, I'm curious what you think about with all the DC cancellations and everything, how that's going to affect the market overall. Because I'm kind of wondering, like, is DC going to kind of take like a third string going forward now? Because they just don't have the books to be the big two anymore. It's possible. It It looks like the new masters as they've developed their, you know, they fired everybody and they hired new people. It looks like they don't care at all about the direct market. And so they're going to, well, they already have greatly lessened the number of comics they're putting out in the direct market. And it looks like they're going to focus on higher priced anthology comics kind of, or not anthologies, but you know, they're going to charge, it looks like they're going to charge five or $6 per comic and put in a little backup. That's what it looks like is going to happen after the future state. And some of the future state issues are going to be like eight bucks a piece and stuff. So I think they're going to, they're going to take a, it's not the same as Marvel because Marvel oversaturates, but they're going to look at, at the direct market as just a little squeeze, a little bit of money out of it, but mostly focus on book publishing. That's my impression. Yeah. I'm curious to see. I'm, curious to see if there's some dc that i'm willing to pick up a little bit more now especially because it's more focused i assume dc is gonna gonna get worse this year and it's already kind of been going downhill in 2020 what i'm hoping is you know after a year or two whoever's in charge will get moved on somewhere else and they'll say and they'll get someone who understands the direct market again because they might eventually look at their books and say hey wait a minute we actually were making some money here why did we why did we give up on this? You know, it's kind of like when you're at a company where marketing people say, hey, the trends are this way, so let's go that way. And you follow the trends, and then later you you backtrack when you realize, oh, we we, uh, we didn't get that trend quite right. Because they're also doub- they're doubling down. They're doing way more digital originals. And I'm thinking they'll, f- they'll find the digital originals are not as successful as they think without... I think that I personally think the direct market's still kind of the backbone where you can make you can make a certain amount of money which then allows you to workshop things that might become successful in the book market and stuff. I hear you though. I mean, I guess to play devil's advocate to that, like I do believe if you're going to do like a new, I don't know, Our Man series, making it digital first and kind of getting a play for that and then releasing a full trade might make more sense because you can get a sense of how popular it's going to be but also you don't have to worry about the whole publishing side of it for a book that's probably not going to crack the top 200 and is more of a building moment possible that could be true and i used to think it was but it, it just doesn't seem like digital 
I, I don't think that like the comicsology market, the comicsology model is going to sell that much digital. Like my daughter uh, reads a ton of um, that Korean company, Webtoons, where everything is completely designed to be scrolled. Right. And it comes out weekly and it allows for like at the end of every episode, there's comments from the readers and answers from the creator. And my daughter loves reading mm -hmm. those. You know, it's kind of like commenting on YouTube and stuff. The letters page. So I think the idea of comicsology, where it's like a digital comic book store, you just go and buy an issue. I don't think that, mm -hmm. I think that has a, a draw for people who already are kind of traditional comic book readers and it's not really drawing in new people, but I could be wrong. I, I think it's a slightly different market. I think there's there's some questions about digital sales, but I feel like if there's any argument for a digital first sort of thing, it's kind of the C Stringer DC books kind of a deal where there's going to be some interest. Those people in that market might do it, but not having to worry about publishing and letting it make the money it's going to make is could make more sense, but I don't have any numbers or data to... Yeah, the last time I ever heard data that basically the rule of thumb was that digital sold about 10% of what print did. But whether does it have a long tail? You know, because you're you put up a digital comic and it's still selling a year later and DC could still be making money from it then, I suppose. And we don't have that kind of data. There's that. There's also like the Squirrel Girl and um Moon Girl. Some of the other comics that are kind of directed at the younger and more female market right so squirrel girl maybe sold ten thousand copies or less in the direct market and then apparently sold a huge amount in uh sales to to elementary school students at book fairs and things like that and did better digital is my understanding as well like Oh, really? I did not know that. Yeah, just so, some books for certain markets make more sense there. And we don't know which ones because they won't release the numbers, which makes it hard to say that. But I heard for that book in particular, digital sales were better than people were projecting. But I'm guessing that, I don't know. I can see it both ways. I can see digital kind of replace, be that initial marketplace that you... Because I think part of the huge advantage of the of the direct market is the um, customer churn coming in every Wednesday, keeping you interested in what's coming new. In a book yeah. situation, I've never, even though I've been a huge book reader all my life, I've never kept up on like what's coming out this week in from uh, ace science fiction <laughs> you know i never knew i would just go in the bookstore every few months and right. pick out some books that looked interesting and 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 yeah. so and then i think that the people who do the weekly comics create buzz that passes on to the book market afterwards so you're kind of missing out on a, on some free marketing yeah. in a sense yeah again and like i said it's the c stringers that i think it makes sense for not your right bigger stuff right so if you can get some buzz from the digital releases i guess that would work but i, I guess i was yeah. thinking in terms of digital that you have a more engaged audience in these more advanced digital in the digital sense platforms like the court that korean one 
Well, I mean, they, they have to split the difference. They're not going to be on Webtoons, so... Maybe they will eventually be on Webtoons. You know, Maybe that would be a way to get a younger audience and then publish it in hard copy yeah. for for them to double dip and for the older audience to discover it. Yeah. But the kinds of comics that my daughter and some of her friends like on Webtoons is very different from the kinds of comics that uh, the people that we know like. Oh, sure. Oh, you know a wider variety of people. It might yeah. be closer to manga. Not anymore. <laughs> well, what are your thoughts? Do you think um, do you think someone else could fill DC's spot in the comic book market? I'm kind of wondering if, like, I I think we're going to lose the idea of the big two. Mm-hmm. I've been wondering about that. Yeah, but I mean, for that, like, I think Valiant's going to step up, but I don't think they're just going to replace DC. Like, I think they're going to be more in punching range of, say, like image you think it'll be valiant and so we're going i I mean i think they're the one poised to kind of fill more of that space see because i with the people that i follow review who review comics on on youtube my sense is of boom Mm -hmm. and vault comics really taking off and that those are the ones coming up behind the image and that valiant seems fading away I see Boom rising. Um, I see Dynamite rising. I see Dark Horse. I think Dark Horse could take some spot, but Dark Horse has to figure out Dark Horse for itself first. Ever since they lost so much of their license to Marvel in a period of two years, they didn't really do anything this year to... Their big non-licensed thing, uh, Hellboy, seems to have, you know done a very slow fade it's still out there but it's not as well there's bprd not hellboy right i think they release occasional hellboy miniseries still like hellboy 1957 that kind of thing yeah well i mean outside of mike mignola right like they need black hammer has been kind of a popular series but yeah i'm sure then they have umbrella academy which in fact just today i went to my comic book store and he said that Suddenly, Umbrella Academy, he can't keep Umbrella Academy on the shelves. And it used to be he hardly sold any copies. So the TV show made a huge difference. Right. So, I mean, I guess they have something. But I feel like they need a few currents to build the momentum. But see, in the the people I follow, uh, I don't hear any buzz about Dark Horse comics, except a little bit about Black Hammer. I hear a lot of buzz about several Boom series. the one I'm following is uh, Once in Future, you know, the re- retelling of King Arthur. And, and then people are just That's wild fine. about uh, Something's Killing the Children, which I avoided, but I, I bought a trade now. And there's a couple other series there um, that people like a lot, uh, Seven Secrets. So there's a lot of buzz in the hardcore people. I don't know if that means eventually those things will sell really well elsewhere. And there's... No, I hear you, but um, did you see what the top five selling graphic novels were this year? No. Are you looking at it at the moment? I am. So the first okay. is Umbrella Academy Volume 1. Second, Batman Who Laughs. Mm-hmm. Third, are you ready for this? <laughs> Watchmen. If only DC had somehow made nice with Alan Moore, think how much more money they would have made. Oh, well. Anyway. Apparently they're doing fine. Um, 
ironically to me, the fourth best-selling Umbrella Academy uh-huh. Volume 3, Volume 2 is number seven on the list. That's just weird to me. And then, yeah, it, there's a Teen Titans Raven, which is one of those oh, um, right. YA yeah. things you were talking about earlier. And then there's the Witcher Animbus, which I feel like Witcher comics are published by Dark Horse as well. I'm not sure. It might say right there on your list. Often they'll put in parentheses who the publisher is. It doesn't say who publishes. Um, okay, well, Dark Horse is doing better than I thought. And that's the thing is when I look at sales like there, yeah, uh, Dark Horse does the Witcher comics. But I guess so I'm more going in terms of buzz and thinking that implies what will be selling if it's getting a lot of buzz now for the hardcore readers possibly that will be what builds an audience in the future and so i don't see what dark horse is doing right now is building much buzz you know the the comics that are coming out right now in individual issues well i think that's kind of my point is what we think of as being hot is because we're in it and so what's hot and new is where the buzz is but the truth is, for a lot of this stuff, it's true for books overall. Like, what sells are these things that hit a mass point. And having the TV show or the show, look like Watchmen had that show recently, which is probably part of the reason why it's on the top 10, is that, like, that's what's pushing a lot of these books. And so it's that cross media pollination. And so there's a factor of what we're talking about but the the big sales are from people who will never hear about so much of what we're talking about for 2020 because uh, they're only going to read a fraction of the comics that we've heard about true but i mean things that started with just a lot of buzz in the direct market do become big sellers like saga and well they're both brian k vaughn books and uh paper girls Sure. And those are major sellers for my comic shop. And I know they've appeared on those kinds of lists in the past. They have. And those books will appear on those kinds of lists from time to time. But there, I mean, some of it too is like opportunity. Like, I mean, that Watchmen show didn't mm-hmm. come out. So Watchmen didn't take over again. Or the Umbrella Academy having three volumes. And so that being pushed. And like next year those are going to fade a bit and some more indie, you know, whatever was big that year might rise to the crop a bit more. Right. So there's a bunch of factors to take in, but I I feel like when we're talking about marketplace share too, like I feel like dark horse get hit, but I mean, dark horse is doing fine. They're just not doing fine for the direct market, but they don't need to care because they have these quality books that keep selling. All of those, I think all of those, except for The Witcher, came out of the direct market originally. And while while uh, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, not a League of Extraordinary, what's it called? Uh, Umbrella Academy <laughs> uh, only became big when a TV show happened, it wouldn't have existed without the direct market. And Watchmen came out of the direct market. Well, Umbrella Academy got a big push initially because it was tied to My Chemical Romance because of the creator, and so it got more attention than your average indie book. True, but it's still... I still think that the direct market is extremely an extremely po- important wheel in the machine. <laughs> 
And if you take that wheel out, you're miss. You've got a I, gap. I think it's a yeah. It of course it is. And and I'm and so I'm saying that uh, Boom and Vault and some other smaller publishers are stepping up quite a bit in the that direct market and becoming an important part of that wheel. And some of their work, they you know maybe if you know ten years from now will be like the next. Uh, I keep wanting to say League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, Umbrella Academy. Uh, but I think they're in the in line. Maybe. And maybe Dark Horse will hold its position. But I've never seen a Vault comic in any of the shops I can go to. At first I was. I was just hearing buzz about it. And now my shop, which is a small shop and doesn't carry a lot of stuff. As... In Portland. Yeah, but it's a, it, it mostly carries Marvel and DC unless I special order it. But now they're carrying quite a bit of Vault, a little bit of Titan, a little bit of Aftershock. But Vault is doing better than those. Um, Titan Titan has the Doctor Who license, and I don't know what else. They, they're they odd. They do some translated comics. They do some licensed comics. And then every once in a while, they have something original. Like they, they had a six-issue miniseries called uh, Adler. That was about a female character from a Sherlock Holmes novel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they've had other bits and pieces. But so that they're a particularly odd thing. So I was kind of shocked that when my... I can go to one of the bigger shops here in Portland and find everything. But, but my shop is a tiny shop. An interesting thing, kind of on the other side, like my shop owner is mostly interested in back issues. That's how he got into the business. He was he had a, a business where he just went to cons and it was selling really well. So he thought, well, why don't I sell a few more back issues during the year when I'm not at cons? So I'll start this little shop. But he got hardly any business until he started um, carrying, carrying the weekly new comics. And he says people come in every Wednesday and even sometimes don't buy comics. Or don't buy the new comics, but will buy back issues. But they come in on Wednesday to see what's new, and then they buy other stuff. And so even though he may not, it's a huge hassle for him dealing with Diamond, and he may not be making his most of his money from the new comics. The new comics are still driving his business. They're keeping his business going. So I thought that was an interesting tidbit. Yeah, that's different. That's cool. That's why I thought it was interesting that he started actually carrying Vault Comics even when I'm not the one ordering them because at first it was just Marvel and DC. Anyway, though, I do worry that if DC really backs out of the market, maybe that'll put a number of shops out of business and then the, the snowball effect of if there's not enough shops, then the smaller publishers start going out of business. We'll see. I, I don't think we're there yet, but I do think... Yeah, they're clearly reducing their line. I wish Marvel would reduce their line a bit. Um, I don't think it's necessarily all that bad. Because the, the 90s contraction of the comic book shops pretty much put all the independent publishers except Dark Horse out of business. All the ones that were around before then disappeared. The market is not the same as that. I I, I think there's a fear of a bit of a bubble, and I, I think it's sound, but I don't think um i don't think it would be the same thing anymore because not everybody's doing the varying covers and the hollow foils and all that a lot of the especially the indie 
ones of note like you've been talking about are making their bones on selling comics there might be some variant covers but it, it's the comics pushing it right. and then there's like an a and b cover or something like i know um one we didn't talk about is idw but they have a lot of licensed stuff but like the turtle stuff the transformer stuff the gi joe stuff for those fans are good comics pushing it and then yeah they get some artists to do variant covers but there might be covers a through e but like a and b are the ones you can get on the shelf i'm not sure if my point is clear though so if if the loss of dc um makes some shops go out of business because that was 30 percent of their sales and they work on a slim margin and there's less shops overall indie comics that also don't they're like the shops they're running on a thin margin and they make they could go under at any time when they have a cash flow problem they unlike marvel right who you know can weather the storm so to speak so that's why when when the shops collapsed in the 90s the indie comics companies not because they couldn't because they had relied on foil but even ones very small ones you know like kitchen sink or something that i could find in most comic book shops in the early 90s they stopped publishing because uh when there weren't enough shops there they they just couldn't weather the storm and they were gone and and dark horse survived because they had all those franchises um, but they were the only ones who survived from that period i'm willing to continue it but i gotta gotta go okay well I'll see. Maybe yeah. we'll make this a uh, bonus episode or something. Or maybe we won't. <laughs> but I'll talk to you later, Matt. Okay. All right.